Thanks for joining us for today's message. Here at Temple Baptist, we're a church on a mission, connecting people to Jesus and to one another. So let's pick it up um, right from the very first verse of 1 Peter, and we're going to read the first five verses of this morning together. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. There's a lot of stuff in there. Peter's going to take us to the deep end of the pool this morning. I really think he wants to, for us to understand the significance of our salvation. Now, if you are, uh, if church is new to you, maybe the term salvation is a little unfamiliar. Maybe you've never even heard it before. Or maybe you've heard someone say, I was saved when, or after the accident, I got saved. And you kind of wonder, what does that mean? Saved from what? Well, we're going to talk a little bit about that uh, this morning. And I'm hoping that uh, for the followers of Jesus Christ, that you'll have a better understanding of what salvation really is. And for those of you who might be just checking out Christianity, I pray that you'll have a better understanding why we feel it is so important that people would know what it means to be saved. And I'm also hoping this morning that we will have a better understanding that if we, if we know our past and know our future, it will help us how we live in our present life. And when I say past, I don't mean, you know, let's analyze, you know, what happened after your mom maybe walked out on the family when you were in elementary school. That's not what I'm talking about. Or, you know, let's analyze the culture that you grew up in and, and how that impacted. No, that's not what I'm talking about. When I'm talking about our past, I'm talking about our past relationship before we came to know God. What was that like? What, how did that impact us? And when I say future, I'm not talking about, you know, oh, the career that you may have or who you're going to marry or what's going to happen after retirement. I'm talking about the future, what happens after life. Because I really believe if we have a better understanding of our past and our future, it will help us to live our present life very differently. The thing is, if we are not... If we don't have a proper understanding, I think we're going to be consumed with this present life and we'll forget what God has done for us and what God has in store for us. So now right there in verse 2, um, it tells us that every Christian, every Christian, everyone that has a relationship with God through Christ, it says, has been chosen by the Father, has been set apart by the Holy Spirit, and has been sprinkled with the blood of Jesus. This is true for everyone who has a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's kind of a crash course on what the Trinity has done uh, for us. And I think that's why in verse 3, Peter jumps right into praise. He says, praise be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because he's been chosen, he's been set apart, and he's been sprinkled by the blood of Jesus. The thing is, you can only really have hope in this present world if you understand your past 
and really understand your future. Now, let me give you a definition for saved because, you know, maybe that's um, a word that we don't often use in the way that we use it in the Bible. Maybe even a better word because more of a modern word would be rescue or, or, or delivered. You know, whenever you read the word saved or, or salvation in the Bible, if you replace it with the word rescue, it, it would mean exactly the same thing. You know, so when someone says, when were you saved, you could say, when were you rescued from your sin? When were you delivered uh, from the penalty of your sin? Now, I want you to think for a moment the timing of your salvation. We usually refer to the timing of our salvation as something that's happened in the past. When someone says, oh, let me tell you when I get saved. They're often referring to a moment in time in the past. And I totally understand that because I do the same thing. But biblically, the biblical sense, the Bible talks about salvation as a past, present, and future uh, elements of salvation. We pretty much exclusively refer to salvation as something in the past. But salvation has a past. Well, what's the past? The past is we have been saved from sin's penalty. It says it right there in verse 3. In his great mercy, he has, he has given us new life. Verse 23, it says, for you have been born again. You have been delivered from sin's penalty. You have been rescued from the consequences of sin. That's past. That's part of salvation. But it's also present. Now, if you flip over to uh, Philippians uh, chapter 2, uh, you read this and it may cause you to go, uh, I never heard that before. Are you sh sure? What, 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 what does that mean? Well, the Apostle Paul says in um, Philippians 2, 12 and 13, it says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What? Work out your salvation. What does that mean? I, I thought it was all done. I thought I had nothing to do with my salvation. I thought it was only a God thing. And now Paul says, work out your salvation. Well, look over in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1 in verse 18. Paul has another comment to make about salvation. One eighteen. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, what? But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Paul, what are you talking about? Working out my salvation, I'm being saved. I, I thought it was all taken care of. I think what the Apostle Paul is trying to tell us, we are being saved from sin's power. It doesn't have to have control of us. It shouldn't have any more power over us. In fact, even in verse 9 of 1 Peter, it says, for you are receiving the end result of your faith. I'm like, what? So it's also a present. So in the past, we are saved from sin's penalty. And, and presently, we are being saved from sin's power. But then it also talks about the future aspect of our salvation. We are saved from sin's presence. There is a day coming when sin will have no more impact on any of us. Uh, it is nowhere near you, nowhere to be able to touch you. In fact, it talks about that in Romans. In Romans chapter 13, the Apostle Paul talks about that. Romans 13, uh, verse 11, And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from 
your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first uh, believed. So we are saved from sin's presence. There's a day coming when sin will have no more impact on it. So salvation, there's this past element, there's this present element, and there's this future element. And that's why I say if we have a good understanding of the past and a good understanding of the future, it will help us how we live in the present. Now last week, we kind of just touched on this word elect. It says in verse 2, right, to God's elect. Uh, that is a big theological weighted term, uh, election. In fact, in 1 Peter 1, 2, right, it says right there, to God's elect, those who have been chosen. In Ephesians 1, 4, I know you got you turning in your Bibles back and forth a lot. We're going to have a lot of that uh, this morning. But in Ephesians uh, verse 1 of 4, it says, For he chose us, for he chose us, before the creation of the world. Like before you and I were ever in our mama's belly, he chose us in eternity past. He chose us before the world was ever in existence. In our current culture, we often think we choose God, right? But the more you study the Bible and the more you understand God had to do his work first, he chose us. In fact, in Romans 3.10, a lot of us know that verse, right? There is none righteous, no, not one. And, and in verse 11, the next verse, it says, no one understands, no one seeks God. So the only way someone chooses God is because God did something in them first. We were so dead in our sins, there was no way we would have gone looking for God without him doing something first in our lives. See, don't we love those verses like John 3, 16, for, for God so loved the world that whosoever believes on him, right, should not perish. Yeah, we love that. We love John uh, 6, 40 when it says, you know, we, uh, those who seek God and believe in him. Like, it's so exciting that God will do something in their lives. But just a few verses before that in John 6, uh, 37, it says the ones who actually believe are the ones that the Father has chosen to believe. So this idea of election about being chosen, um, it's, it's mysterious. I, I, I'm going to tell you that right now. It's a mystery. It's hard to figure it out. And anyone who says, oh, I have, I have election all figured out, I'm not too sure they're really being that truthful. And the more I get thinking about it, I don't even know if it's a doctrine that really should be analyzed as much as it should be adored, that God chose us to be part of the family. That's all part of regeneration, the moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ. No wonder Peter breaks out in praise uh, to the glory of God because of what he has done for him. He was rescued. And the fact is God chose us. In, in verse 3, it says, In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. Well, what is mercy? Mercy is God holding back what we deserve or what we have earned. So God is holding back his judgment. And boy, should we ever be grateful that God is not fair. Because fairness would bring judgment. Fairness would bring instant separation from God forever. But it's because of his great mercy that we can breathe. That we can take even the next breath. Because of his great mercy, we can actually even enjoy any of life. And in his mercy, he has given us 
a new birth. I think maybe that comes even from the story of Nicodemus. You, some of you may remember that. You know, this Pharisee, this religious leader that was highly respected, came to Jesus in the middle of the night to ask, you talk about this new life. Well, what does that mean? And Jesus said, oh, you must be born again, which he is very confused. He's a very intellectual man. He says, you mean I have to enter my mom's womb again? And Jesus says, no, no, that's not what I mean at all. But he talks about this regeneration. You have an opportunity to be born twice and die once or born once and die twice. In other words, we're all born physically, but Jesus was talking about being born again spiritually. And when we're born again spiritually, we only face one death. That's a physical death. But if we've never been born again spiritually, we will face not just physical death, but spiritual death, which is really separation from God. And Ephesians chapter 2 uh, four and five. I hope you're hanging in there with me. I know it seems heavy. Uh, this is if you if you make it through this week, you're going to fly to the rest uh, of the series. Um, Ephesians two, verse four and five. It used to be in my Bible. Oh, there it is. But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, has made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our sins. He's made us alive. In verse 3, it says, we have this new birth into a living hope. Not a dead hope, but a living hope. And, and I sometimes struggle with that word hope because in, in our culture today, I, it doesn't really say what we want it to say. Usually when we think of the word hope, we think of wishful thinking. Oh, I hope I pass the exam that I wrote this morning. Uh, I hope I make it to the gas station before I run out of gas. Uh, I hope I don't get COVID-19. It's all wishful thinking. But the hope that Peter is talking about is a hope that it's like, um, it's absolute confidence. This is going to happen. It's an assurance of what he's talking about. And the fact is, without Christ, people are hopeless. They are. Those who die by suicide. You, you think of uh, famous celebrities, uh, famous sport figures, uh, well-known world leaders. When they die by suicide, sometimes we're shocked. We're like, why? They have money, they have fortune, they have fame. They can do anything they want in the world. Why would they do that? Well, most studies show that people who struggle with dying by suicide is um, because they don't have any hope and they don't see a future. And in a sense, they have analyzed the world correctly because without Christ, there is no hope. And we have been born into a living hope. And that's all part of regeneration. Then, of course, there's that sanctification, which is something happening present. That says right there in verse 2, right? Um, sanctified, set apart uh, by the Spirit. We have been chosen by God in eternity past, before the creation of the world. We have been in the past sprinkled by the blood of Jesus. And we have been set apart. That's a daily sanctification. It's a daily thing that's happened in our life. To ultimately one day experience glorification, which the scriptures talk about heaven, glory. That, that's our future salvation. That's where we're going to be like Jesus, where sin gets removed, where uh, battle scars with sin will be no more, where you'll never sin again. You'll never have a lustful thought again. You'll never struggle with pride again. You'll, you'll uh, never struggle to lie again. In fact, in verse 4, it talks about this um, 
and into an inheritance. It's a spiritual inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. I've lost part of my inheritance. Um, when I was younger, I was given this uh, gold, real gold watch, solid gold chain with a, a jade fob at the end. And it used to belong to Alexander Calder, and it was passed down to Caldwell Calder, and then it was passed down to Clifford Calder, and then it was passed down to Dennis Calder, and then it got passed down to Donald Calder. The oldest boy in the family would receive this watch. I had it appraised, and it was appraised at over 4,000 uh, American dollars, so uh, what is that, 27,000 Canadian? No, but maybe over 5,000. And um, I had it in my house. I, I, I was very proud to be the next generation that would hold it. It was displayed in a beautiful glass case. And uh, on a Saturday night when I was studying at church, getting ready for a sermon on Sunday, someone broke into my house. And of course, what did they take? They took what was most valuable to me. I didn't care about TVs or computers or furniture, stuff like that. But what I lost was a part of the heritage of my family. And, and I lost my dad's wedding ring, and I lost my grandfather's wedding ring. They stole it all, what had really meant to me. But the inheritance that awaits for us, we're told, will never perish, it will never soil, it will never fade. When I say never perish, it means it's going to be untouched by death, never soiled, untouched by evil, never fade, untouched by time. Your inheritance, your name is on it, and it's waiting for you. And it's all being shielded by God's power. You know, when I get overwhelmed, and I get overwhelmed lots about the situations that I find myself in, I know exactly what's happened to me. I've lost sight of what God has done for me in the past. And I've lost sight of what God has waiting for me in my future. Uh, there's this pastor named Brett Keyes, and he tells a story of a woman in his church who had been diagnosed with terminal cancer. He received a phone call for her, uh, to him and she said, Pastor, I've received some really hard news. I, I found out I have terminal cancer and I don't have years to live. They told me I have three months to live. And so I, I wanna be able to get together with you and plan my funeral. And let me just say, that's an honor. When someone calls you while they're still alive and wants to plan their funeral, it's, it's an honor. And, and I still remember the very first time that happened for me. It was Esther Burgess. She called me. She said, Pastor, I've been told I have less than a year to live, and I want to get together and plan my funeral. I said, Esther, it'd be a privilege. And I went over to her home, and, and she sat down with me. She said, now, these are the songs I want sung. These are the scripture uh, verses I want to be read. And this is what I want you to say at the funeral. There's going to be a lot of unsafe family members, and I want them to know my story. And, and then just before we end it, she says, and one more thing, Pastor Donald. I do not want any electric guitars or drums being played at my funeral. She says, if you allow that, I will come back and haunt you. And I thought, okay, Esther, no, no electric guitars, no drums uh, at your funeral. Well, when Brett was meeting with this lady, same thing. They went through the songs and the scripture verses, what she wanted said. And then she said, Pastor, I have one more request. Uh, would you just make sure that there is a fork in my right hand? So when people come for visitation and for the funeral, they'll see a fork in my hand. And he said, uh, okay, uh, it's kind of an odd request. I'm sure, maybe you've heard something like that. I've never heard that before. She, he says, can I ask you why you want a fork in your right hand? She says, oh, 
She said, when I was growing up, I grew up in a really small church. And once a month, we would uh, have a potluck. And I used to look forward to that as a kid because I knew there'd be a smorgasbord of food. All the best uh, dishes uh, would be there. And so she says, we would go there and I'd fill up my plate. And then they'd begin to clear the table. And then as they're clearing the table, they say, now everybody, keep your forks. And she said, I knew exactly what that meant. That meant dessert was on its way. That meant Mrs. Jones' apple pie was going to be available. That meant Louise's chocolate cake was going to be available. That meant Mrs. Bennett's carrot cake was going to be out on the table for us to enjoy. Well, this is the message of Peter uh, to those who are suffering. And I realize some of you are suffering immensely uh, today. You're struggling. You're hurting. I'm just telling you, keep your fork because the best is yet to come. You know, there are times I get overwhelmed. I, I admit it. it. It probably happens uh, more often than it should. And when that happens, I begin to think to myself, I have forgotten what Christ has done for me in my past, and I've lost sight of what awaits for me uh, in the future. Your suffering, your heartache, will feel inconsequential to what is waiting for you. Now, I don't want to make light of what you may be suffering with, what, what's hurting you today. I don't want to make light of the pain that maybe plagues you this morning. And I know some of you feel like you, you can't make it one more day. And I'm just telling you, there is a day waiting that God has prepared in the future for us that will make all suffering seem inconsequential here on this earth. So I want to tell you, keep your fork the best is yet to come. Thanks for listening, and consider joining us live on Sundays at 9.15 and 11 a.m. For our address, directions, and any other information, find us online at templebaptist.com.